Welcome to the Urban Guru Cafe. This week, Aretti speaks with Bob Adamson. about this and know all there is to know about it you know there are a lot of people out there yeah I know everything they know the answer to every question in non-duality and then they say they understand it intellectually well they say they understand it intellectually what have they done they put a barrier up on understanding now a different sort of an understanding an intellectual understanding and what do they regard intellectual understanding? Something thought up or conceptualised? You know, with two and two is four. Do you understand that intellectually? Or it's worked out and seen? And isn't it ever after a knowing? You don't say, I understand two and two is four intellectually. Why? Because you've seen it and there's a knowingness of it. So it's no longer intellectual, it's a pure knowing. When you realise that there's no entity there, no intellectual entity that needs to understand it. There's either a knowing or they're not. Now, can you negate your beingness? Do you understand I am, the knowing that you are, intellectually? Or is it a fact? It's a fact. Did you have to work that out and say, well, I am intellectually? You realise, well, the only way to know it is there's no I that knows it. It can't be not known. It is the knowing itself. And that's not intellectually, not conceptual. So how is the mind, like a thorn, used to remove another thorn itself? That was said by Ramana Maharshi. Well, what is the thorn? The thorn that prickles is the belief in the self-centre, a separate entity. That's the thorn. I am a person, I'm an individual, I'm an entity. Which is thought, which is concept, which is mind. And hearing this and the thought comes up, well, I can't be this body, or I can't be that mind. And through the translations through the mind, so you're using the mind to recognise, the mind's being used or utilised, to recognise you're not what you believed yourself to be. And so, what do you do? You discard them both then. And if you discarded both, that's the, the pause in the thought, what's there? Any prickles? Intelligence entity, the one intelligence entity that translates into thoughts and words, and those thoughts and words arise. Can't think a thought, a thought comes up. Instead of coming from the conditioned belief, since we started to reason, we've always carried around that you are an entity and all the rest of it. And seeing through it, you've realised that there never was an entity there. And all the thoughts that are happening have come from that intelligence energy anyway. They were related to an erroneous belief, related to the thought-up entity, the conceptual entity. And that's not happening anymore. What is it? It's just thinking and same as seeing and every other activity going on, not by any separate entity anywhere.
that the only thing we can be certain of is the fact of our own being. Is a thought the thing? So your thought will translate. The only thing you're absolutely certain of is the fact of your own being. That translates as the thought I am. But is that thought I am what you are? It is when there's nothing added to it. It's seen as all it is is a label on what you already are. Like when Moses was on the mountain, and he got the tablet he put down as the Ten Commandments, and he's puzzling over it, and then he says, well, I've got to take these back to the people, but who shall I say sent me? How are they going to believe it? And the thought came to him again, as the thoughts of the tablets had come through, through that intelligence, and I am sent you. Tell them, my name is I am. And Moses realised there and then, well, that name I am, that's what I am. I am that I am. So, that's what I really am, is that sense of presence, that essence. So he goes back and says, I am simply. Is there any truth to the thoughts of non-duality? Not in the thought, because you can say it as we do, we say it's awareness or consciousness, or put many other labels to it, and people start looking to see what awareness or consciousness is, they're taking what the thought, the concept that the thought comes up as and think they're going to find something. But realising what the ancients have pointed to as non-duality, one without a second is what they put on it, because even the idea of one implies it could be other than one, or non-conceptual, ever-fresh, presence awareness, just this, and nothing else, they put the nothing else on it, all those things to cancel out any other concept or idea that it can be anything other than that. So you see, from that there can be absolutely no duality in non-duality. So every thought then is an expression of that non-duality. And there's no certainty in any thought? No, does a thought stay? Is a thought permanent? Thought's transient like all the rest of the appearance. It's coming and going. The sense of presence is translated by the thought I am. And that thought is not there constantly to say I am, but the sense of presence is constantly there. So the thought comes and goes, so it can't be non-duality. Though in essence it is, if you understand that. The way it's patterning, shaping and forming is the expression of it, but the essence of that pattern, shape and form is pure intelligence energy. Vibrating into that pattern, shape and form, just the same as vibrating into every other pattern in the universe. Thought's a subtler form of a patterning, that's all. The body's a grosser form of patterning. The mountains, the rivers and everything else is that gross is still seeming more solid, more concrete form of patterning. But in essence it's all that. Thought is only a thought because we give it the name thought. Yes, the well, name's another label we put on thinking, put on seeing. associations like NA who are listening to your message how do they reconcile these two things can they be reconciled well look into AA or you know or anyone that uses the 12-step program and there are a lot of things that use the 12-step program the 12-step program is a so-called spiritual program really if you look in the, the big book of AA they say 
selfishness, self-centeredness, self-will run right. That, we think, is the problem. It's not the booze, not the drugs, not anything else. It's selfishness, self-centeredness. It's a problem of the ego. And if you look into all of those steps, each of those steps is a deflationary step. But they say the steps are deflation at depth, and that's what they do with those steps. Deflate this ego. But we go a little bit further here, we say, if you have a look, really have a look into it, you'll see the ego is a fiction all along. But you can't tell people coming into AA or NA straight away. They've got to experience it without picking up the first drink or taking the first drug, which is, they can only do that now, not pick it up again, according to the non-dual aspect of it. They don't pick up a drink right now, a day at a time, they say, but even right now, there's only time you need to pick it up. Well, it's always right now, you never pick it up. So that program can lead them along the seeming so-called spiritual path as they clarify, clear out, get the booze and drugs out of their system, the brain begins to function a bit more. Whether it's not anaesthetised by all these things. If they grab by the program and getting something out of it, which a lot of them do, they pursue it a little bit further. And then, like myself, they might look for things that are a little bit further than that and latch on to the non-dual aspects of the so-called spiritual. for example for emotional or psychiatric reasons how does this all fit in with non-duality uh, I mean should you not take medication see the medication taken some doctor or psychiatrist or somebody has prescribed that because of the work that's been done into looking into these things but those doctor or psychiatrist or somebody might think they invented it or the scientists might brought it up but if that intelligence energy wasn't functioning through them they wouldn't have been able to come up with that. So it's a necessary part of the functioning of intelligence energy that forms these things to do for these problems, you know. And stages, people might need medication to settle them down. And that's prescribed from them. It's up to them to take it, yeah. There are many out there who think that they cannot get clear because they cannot come and see you in person or someone who's clear in person. Did you have to see Nasagadada? Well, I can't say I did have to see him or didn't, but that's where it took me. And uh, for others, it might not, you know, or it might, all depends. It's not necessary to go anywhere, but I had to follow a certain path. Things came up and led me to that from the fellowship. In the fellowship it took me into a lot of other things because that was the important thing that came about, the recognition that my problem was so-called, wasn't mental, it wasn't physical, though mental and physical were aspects of it. It was a purely so-called spiritual. But today I don't believe in even any spiritual thing, it's the one essence. But that's what took me into the program and I didn't want to go there and I didn't want to be an alcoholic in the first place from that personal point of view. And that's the way it happened and that's what took me out of it. And where it took me from then, that's exactly what happened. It took this body-mind pattern into certain things. And going along with these certain things, there was a recognition or a resonance with them. 
let me innately know that this was the path that was needed to be followed and it did. But if anybody can turn and have a look for themselves right now, they don't need to go anywhere at all because it's hard at other points. You know, you're your own girl, what it calls the inner girl. It's that innate essence that'll take you wherever you needed to go and how you get there. You know? But the main thing is to recognise that and allow it to be so. Instead of trying to fix something yourself from that uh, individual point of view, that self-centered point of view. Everything is equal. Yeah. If it's non-dual, which the ancients point to and point to very clearly, that's all that needs to be grasped or understood, non-duality, one without a second. So from that point of view, when they put labels like one without a second on, or just this nothing else, you know, cancel out any idea there could be anything other than one, you must see from that there could be absolutely no duality whatsoever in non-duality. So everything is an expression of non-duality appearing as something other. But as we pointed out, the appearance is transient, not the actual, the non-dual, one without a second, the no thing, doesn't change. But the appearance is constantly changing. And there couldn't be an appearance without the seeming dualism. So you realise, though it's appearing dualistically, it's equal in essence. You've got good and bad, pleasant, painful, take the meanings out of the word. What do you then without the meanings in the label? Seer and seen. Those ideas are not there, what's there? Just pure seeing, pure presence awareness, one without a second. So really inequality of things can only exist if we label things and compare things. It's comparison that makes things unequal. Exactly. So that's where we say that all problems are problems of relationship, relative to. Now, relationship is always me and the other. That's dualism. Now, trying to fix a relationship, it won't happen. And seeing there's no relationship, there's a natural coming together of things and a natural moving away of things without trying to clutch and cling and hang on to this or force something away. The idea or concept of relationship is dualism. Dualism can never become non-dual because... It was never there in the first place, it's only an erroneous belief. Can you explain how there is a pattern of me and yet there's no me doing anything? Take a wave and the ocean. Now the wave appears to be something different than the ocean. It can come up and break things and all the rest of it is the seeming power in the, in the wave, but what can it do of itself? See, the whole force of the ocean is behind that wave, isn't it? But the pattern, if we don't believe that we are like the wave, you know, we believe we can do things. But without that one essence, what can you do? Well, when there appears to be 
a me doing, you go back and have a look, can you find a me? Can you find anything separate and apart that has some substance or independent nature of self, me, as a separate entity, as a person that can breathe, beat its heart, or do anything, or even think, apart from that functioning intelligence entity, the essence that's vibrating it, animating it, or living it. I mean, outside of thinking, there's a me. There's nothing there. That's right. You see, no thing near, yet the livingness is happening. Me, the thought-up entity, that's all it is, a thought-up and believed-in entity. If you go into it and recognise it, that that's all it is, a thought, and see that the thought has no substance or any independent nature, it can't see, it can't hear, it can't be aware, and it doesn't even think itself. The thought doesn't think itself. Thinking happens, which is, comes up and expresses as thought. So, what is there, separate and apart from the functioning itself that's doing it? Again, the problem of relationship, it's always relative to that erroneous belief that I have about myself, me. If I haven't got a belief about myself, I am the no thing, and a seeming anxiety or a stress or whatever the so-called suffering comes up, it's not separated from that. What is it if it's not separated? It's just what is. Just what is. You can't put a label on it at all without separating it into something. Then, if there's no separation, what is it? If you like to call it suffering, you are that suffering in the moment, aren't you? You are that anger. Undivided, then it's got nowhere to latch on, nowhere to go. What must it do? It must disperse. And as soon as it's latched onto the, or attributed to the believed in entity, the conceptual image you've got about yourself, well then there's a belief that it needs to be altered, modified or corrected, instead of leaving it as it is. And that altering, modifying or correcting is resistance to it. And any resistance is conflict. And conflict itself is the suffering. It's disease, you're uneasy. And when you keep trying to remedy, do something about it, that conflict is there, the suffering's there. If it's left as it is, everything's perfectly resolved in the unborn, it comes and plays around for a while with no separation from it. Is it suffering then? this reference point, this self-centre, what we believe ourselves to be, is a conceptual image, really. When that I-thought comes upon us, when the reasoning starts when we're about to, I or me comes upon us, you can't do much with I or me, really. So with that to that I or me, I'm Bob, I'm Australian, good fella, a bad fella, not so good, got low self-esteem, I'm fearful, all these concepts about events and experiences that have happened in your life are added onto this I-thought, and we've got this mental picture of what I believe myself to be. A conceptual image. Now the energy of belief going into that conceptual image makes it seem concrete or solid or something really real. Now everything is then related to that image. And it's judged from there because of experiences before it's good or because of experience before it's bad, or it's pleasant or it's painful. Instead of seeing it as it is when it comes up and leaving it, 
from the spontaneous intuitive functioning to disperse it or let it dissolve or whatever, it's referred to this me as memory, and then the conflict starts because it's something we like, the me wants to hang on to it, and things we like, like everything else, will start to move away after a while. And we don't want this to move away because we want this pleasant experience constantly. When it's moving away, which it naturally does, there's a struggle to hang on to it, a resistance to letting it go. And the resistance itself is a conflict again. Something we don't like, we're always trying to push it out or remove it or get rid of it in one way or another. Again, we're resisting what is. And resistance is always the suffering. It's all our suffering is. It's resistance to what is. What is means unaltered, unmodified, uncorrected. Left as it is. And it takes care of itself. In nature, it takes care of itself. so obviously apparent about you, Bob, is that you're never playing the guru game. For those who might be caught up in the guru game, what is the difference between what you are saying here and what is said in those other guru game circles? I don't know what goes on in other guru circles. The constant pointing is to the non-duality. Not anybody here who's going to give somebody else something or do anything at all for anybody other because there is no other, except that all that happens is, is a pointing and asking for the, whoever it's pointed to to look and see for themselves what's being pointed to, whether it's correct or not, whether it resonates or not. And then, if that's done, in the investigation or looking into that, the false can never stand up to investigation. If something is not true, and when you're looking and investigating it, you'll see it as false, and in the saying it is false, what are you left with? You're left with what you already are, which is that non-negatable presence awareness, if you like to put that label on it. And then that's no longer a belief, it's a knowing. So can you believe in the false from then on, that I'm this entity? Even though habitually out of all habit, it might seemingly appear or come up again. But intelligence will tell you itself, you know, it'll come up in the words probably, or it mightn't come up in any words, just to see. But if it translates into words, it might say, don't go there, full stop, or that's just a concept, or any of those things might come up, and we can realize, ah, yes, that's not what I am. What I am is non-conceptual presence awareness, and I don't even need that light. It can't be negated. You've been listening to part one of a new interview with Bob Adamson. The Urban Guru Cafe is produced in Australia.